Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. Man, it's good to be with you guys today. I'm Kevin, our lead pastor here. And as Pastor Mark said, we have one church in two locations. So I just left the Chesterfield campus and came over here. Um, so I'm excited to continue. If you've just joined us, we're actually in a series in the book of Galatians in week four. So what we've been doing is we've been journeying through God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and looking at a 2,000-year-old letter that Paul wrote to a church that he planted. If you have your copy of God's word, you go and turn to Galatians chapter four. And I want you to answer this one question today. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? I remember uh, early on in ministry, I kind of had my priorities mixed up. And I heard this statement by Pastor Craig Groeschel of LifeChurch.tv, one of the largest churches in the world. Um, they are the ones who produced the Version app. So if you have that app on your mobile device that they produced it, gave it out for free. They were one of the first churches ever to give out all their resources for free. Amazing, amazing church and, uh, and pastor. He said this at a conference that it really shook me to the core because it resonated. He said, I realized one day that the way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. He said, the way that I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. And here's what he meant by that. He was pursuing religious good, noble causes, right? When everybody say that what they're doing is good, that even, you know, pastoring is good. Well, why that resonated with me was because I was planting my first church, and here's what I realized. I realized that even though I was doing things for God and I was doing this, these ministry tasks and accomplishing goals, I, the work of God in me was being destroyed all the time. I was not becoming more like Jesus doing the work of Jesus. Like, isn't that oxymoron? You, you think all you do all week is you, you sit and watch the Bible hover over your desk and you pray, right? It's a joke, guys. You can laugh. <laughs> is he serious? No, I'm not serious. That's a joke. <laughs> But I realized that I was accomplishing goals. I was going after pursuits in life. But the ultimate goal that God has for me is for me to be more like Jesus. And that wasn't the case in my life. And so I had to have that, what you call a come to Jesus meeting, where God began to speak to my heart and deal with my heart. See, I'm not sure where you're at today. I know that many of you probably don't live in the world that I live in and face the battles that I face, but I guarantee that you have seen in your life that you've maybe got the degree, got the promotion, you know, you, 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 you got the money, whatever it was, but you realize in the process you become somebody that you didn't like. Maybe when you looked in the mirror after accomplishing things, you realize, I look less like Jesus before I ever started this endeavor. And the goal for all of us, let's don't get it backwards, is not to have pursuits and goals first, is to become like Jesus first. That's the whole goal of a Christ follower is to look more like Jesus in our life. Now, what we're going to look at today in Galatians is is pretty interesting because they were dealing with the same thing. Uh, This ancient letter, 2,000 years old, one of the first churches that were ever planted uh, um, with the non-Jews, Paul planted this church, and they were being fooled into following the Jewish religious law system, 613 laws. And they thought, hey, man, this is the goal, is to be very religious, This is the goal, is to do exactly what the law says. 
the Mosaic law says it in the, what we call the Old Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, really boring books you don't like to read, um, then that's what we have to do. And they were being fooled into thinking that. They were doing religious things. But were you going to read that Paul's heart wasn't that they became more religious, but they became more like Jesus. And those two are totally different. If I, as I've said before, you can sit in a garage and say, vroom, vroom, and the DMV is not going to put tags on you and call you a Cadillac, baby, right? <laughs> so that's the goal to become more like Jesus. So, so here's what happens. Paul plants this church among non-Jews. Now, this is important because today, I don't know your history or background, but just by my estimation, that probably 99.9% .9 of us in here are non-Jews, what the Bible calls Gentiles. We're here today because Paul stepped out to plant churches among non-Jews. You say, well, that's, that's cute, that's great. Well, here's why that's so important. Christianity started as Jewish primarily because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, right? Like I mean, he's, all the thousands of prophecies in the Law and Prophets, he comes and he's the Jewish Messiah. And so Peter, James, and John, the big three, those guys in Jerusalem start preaching repentance and following Jesus, and all these Jews start getting saved. And so it's, it's pretty amazing. You remember 3,000 got saved in one day. That's phenomenal, right? You talk about church growth in one day. It goes from 120, like you know, maybe you know, as many adults are in here today, to 3,000. Could you imagine that? But here's the problem. The Jews always believed that they were elite, that they were kind of a little better than the Gentiles. And here's why. They believed you could even eat with a non-Jewish person and then go to the temple or you'd be unclean. Matter of fact, if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you said, I want to follow, you know, Elohim, Jehovah, I, I want to follow the one true living God, I believe in your God, they would say, great, you've got to become Jewish, this is before Jesus came, and they would water baptize you into their religion. So then you followed the Jewish law and traditions. You know what's so crazy about John the Baptist, side note? When John the Baptist came, here's the crazy thing about him. So we hear him baptizing in the Jordan, you're like, yeah, yeah, baptism, Woo. Jews didn't get baptized, y'all, Gentiles did. And John was calling Jews to come get baptized. That's why all the guys came down to see what was happening there um, at the Jordan. So, so you see that Jews believed that they were just the elite group and that nobody else had the copyright to salvation. Like, we own the patent for it. And so we own this thing. And so um, they, they begin to get saved in Jerusalem. Man, the church is exploding. But something happens when persecution starts and they start killing Christians. Christians begin to scatter. And in the midst of all that, this guy named Saul, who's killing Christians, that was his whole job, right? Like, I'm going here today and killing some Christians. I'm going there and killing some Christians. I'm going to kill Christians. What do you do for a job? I kill Christians, right? That's what he did. He was the second leading teacher in all of Israel under Gamaliel. He was the stock of Benjamin, you know, the tribe of Benjamin. He was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee in the teaching of the law. And something happens. This guy named Saul gets met by Jesus, the resurrected, ascended Jesus, meets, blinds this guy, calls him to salvation, and now his whole ministry is turned. And for 17 years he studies, he prays, and he realizes, whoa, these Gentiles should also share in the gospel. These non-Jews aren't being ministered to. So Paul teaches non-Jews. It's like us. He goes and says, hey, you can believe upon Jesus and be saved. Grace through faith alone. You don't need the law. Like, this is awesome. And so here's what happens. It caused a huge ruckus in Jerusalem. You know, Pete and Jimmy and Johnny, those guys were shook to the core. 
Because it's challenging them that you don't have to follow the Jewish law anymore. That Gentiles are equal playing field and can share in salvation, right? And so it was really scary. So they all get together um, there in, in Jerusalem. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And they had this big meeting. Delegates are coming. And the whole issue is, man, these non-Jews are getting saved. They're even seeing miracles happen among them. And they're saying, now what do we do? What do these guys need to do to be fully saved? We know they're like kind of saved. But they need the, the, the Jewish law. They need this Mosaic law to be fully saved. Now you say, why do they need the Mosaic law? Very important to the Jews. To a Jew, that was God's revelation to mankind. Right? That God promised Abraham that through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. Right? So, God, so they chased their lineage back to Abraham. And then Moses comes on. They're let out of Egypt. One million people follow them. Like, you know, Israelites are in slavery. They get out of Egypt. Remember Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. Remember that little story? So they get out. They part the Red Sea, come through. And they end up, and they're like, hey, now what do we do, Moses? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue what to do. One million people have been in slavery their whole life. Well, how do we worship? Uh, I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Where do we put our waste at? Me and people. I'll get back to you. Hey, we have some lepers over here that are infecting people. What do we do? Just give me a few moments. So Moses goes to the mountain, prays. God meets him, gives him 613 laws. The Mosaic law. Ah, comes down. Shining bright. You remember it? You know, Ten Commandments come down. It's like amazing. The Jews are then, you know, are, by living through those laws are made right with God. They can earn works-based righteousness. You know, you go and sacrifice the lamb. Remember that? Passover lamb. And that's how your sins are forgiven by the priest. And so all the instructions for everything are in the law. It's how you're right with God. It's how you know to do, do what God wants you to do. You have a little book of laws there. And so here's what happens. This is their revelation of God to mankind. It was sacred to them. Well, now they're being told you don't need that anymore because Christ has fulfilled the law. And that Gentiles don't need that. They're like, well, how do you know God? How are you made righteous? Paul says it's easy. How are you made right with your creator? How do you know that your heart, how do you know you're right there? By Jesus alone. Faith in Jesus alone. And so it causes, again, a, a, a ruckus among the churches that Paul was planting. Now, Paul was going into pagan environments where they were worshiping false gods. Like, literally, in Ephesus, they worshiped Diana, the, the you know, uh, demon goddess. They worshiped her. The whole city worshiped her. Paul goes in. He's going to these places. And people are the pagans. You and I are giving their life to Jesus, saying, I'm leaving false gods. I'm following Jesus. That sounds great, doesn't it? Here's the problem. The Jews come into those churches, some of them called Judaizers. They're saying, oh, that's great. You received Jesus. You got water baptized. Man, we're so happy. Now it's time for you to get fully saved. Now you need to really get saved. Like, you know, like now you can make the team. And here's how you do it. You've got to become Jewish as well. And so after Paul plants these churches, this group of people go around teaching this. If you read the book of Romans, it's almost like the same book, just longer, Right? Um, the same thing's been going on there. They're being taught this, and it breaks Paul's heart because Paul, the leading Jewish teacher in all of Israel behind Gamaliel, is now telling them, I left the law, and you can too. And so here's what happens. He plants this church. The Judaizers comes in, and now he's writing a letter to them. And the pastor stands up and reads this letter. Now, today what you're going to read, and, and we're going to read together and look at, is the, the issue that Paul was showing, like this allegory of, of a, a slave and, and somebody in a home, and you're going to see a whole, a whole bunch of things there. Here's what he's trying to show them as you're reading this. He's saying this. He's saying that the law had a purpose while it was there, but when Christ came, there was no more need for the law. 
And I want you to watch this. And then, and then it's going to turn, and you're going to see Paul talk really bluntly to the non-Jewish followers in that church. Everything changes. He's been building his argument, remember? He's been arguing for several weeks now. And I want you to watch his tone change and, and, um, as he writes this letter to him um, in the middle of this. And I'll, I'll call your attention to it when he does. He says this. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves in the Greco-Roman Empire until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. So if you're 13, your father leaves an inheritance, when do you get it? Usually when you're 18, right? Or if the time is set 21. But until that time, you're still broke. That's why I love teenagers talking about, I'm going to my house. I'm going to drive my car. Really? It's, oh, it's your car? No, you don't own a thing, right? That's my dad. My dad's telling me, he says, son, you don't own a thing. Just to keep, you know, that, that car's in my name. I pay the insurance. I do all that. You don't own a thing. So um, I love when, whenever teenagers do that. And all the teenagers love me in the church now, right? <laughs> they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father has set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But when the right time came, remember it's the, the allegory here, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the Mosaic law. God sent him, that being Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the Mosaic law. He's speaking to mostly Jews at this point now. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now pause for a second. You can hear some children talk, like we're God's children. See, um, the Jews believed that they were God's children because they descended from Abraham. We're, so they always believe, oh, we're God's children because we're from Abraham. Paul says, no, 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 no. You're God's children if you put your faith in Jesus, not because you're descendants of Abraham. And so he starts talking about this children talk and how you're really children of God. This was radical for Judaism. Like, it blew the Jews' mind to hear that, like, whoa, what do you mean, like, Gentiles are children of God? No, we're children of God. And then kind of be, you know, grab, but they're not really children of God. But Paul says you're children of God, again, when you give your life to Jesus. Verse 6 says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. That's for the Jew and the Gentile. And since you are his, his child, God has made you his heir. Now verse 8, he changes to the non-Jews. He speaks directly to them and their pagan life. He says, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or, he says, or should I say now that God knows you, let's get this right, um, why do you want to go back and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Here's what he's saying. When you were pagans, you went to the, to, to the pagan temples and you worshipped. You did your little drugs and you worshipped and you did temple prostitution. You did all that stuff in the Greco-Roman Empire. That's what you did. And you were slaves to pleasure and sin. You lived just for pleasure. He says, now, now you traded that, you gave your life to Jesus, and now you traded that to be slaves again to the Mosaic law. You've been slaves to a religious law system. He said, you just traded slavery from, from pleasure and those things to the religious law system. And that's what he's, he's writing to them and trying to get them to understand that you're, you're still slaves because you're slaves to the Mosaic law because you're listening to these Jewish false teachers. 
Verse 10 says you are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. That's the Jewish calendar. So if they obeyed the Jewish calendar and did what the Jews told them to do as far as the different festivals and feasts, then they could earn some special favor with God, and that's not the case. He says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Is that not the hardest thing for somebody to say to you? Could you imagine somebody working with you, whether it's in your spiritual life, whether they're teaching your skill, maybe they're teaching how to play an instrument, or they're teaching your sport, or they're teaching, and they say, have I just wasted all my time with you? Does that cut you to the heart to hear that? That's what Paul just said to them. Have I wasted all this time with you because you're turning back to the Jewish law? And he goes on to say to them here, he says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I've become just like you Gentiles, you non-Jews, free from those Mosaic laws. Now, look at what Paul then does. He then appeals to their relationship. I want you to watch this. He said, you did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. Now, anybody believes that if you're really in God's will, you won't be sick, then, right? Healthy, wealthy, and wise, whatever, what God wants everybody. Paul was sick when he preached to them, so just... I'm just, just saying, it's, if Paul was sick, I think he had a lot of faith, right? I think he did. Maybe you guys don't. Some people believe you have enough faith to never get sick. Well, Paul was. But watch what happened. He says in verse 14, But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Meaning, man, y'all really took care of me. You thought, Holly, we were like this. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Editorial note, some scholars believe that Paul's problem was eyesight, that there was something happening with eyes. Some scholars say that maybe when Jesus showed up on, on the, you know, the road to Damascus and blinded Paul, maybe that gave him um, you know, bad eyesight. Maybe that hurt his eyes. We're not sure. This could also be a saying like, man, you would have given me the shirt off your back. Right? In the South, people say things like that. We're not sure, but Paul did have some type of ailment. Um, there was, later in Paul's life, he had some of his his fellow ministry guys write the letters for him, and he says that in the letter. Um, there, we're not sure what his sickness was, but you can take it from, uh, you know, from there and how you, know, how you want to go with it. Verse 16 says this, Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? So that's another hard statement. Am I now your enemy because I've actually told you the truth about the gospel and the truth about the law? He says those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. That's good. He's he's happy for them. But let them do it all the time and not just when I'm with you. Verse 19 says this, and this is the whole key to today's message. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. Let me ask y'all something. Women, you ought to be a little offended at that. Paul don't know nothing about no labor pains. Any mamas in the house like, you know, right? I don't know nothing about labor pains. That's the Holy Spirit inspired him to, to write that. But, but that's, that's the type of, if, if you've experienced that, that's the type of emotional pain he's experiencing for the people that he led to Jesus there in Galatia. He says, I feel like I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your life. 
I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Paul is at his wit's end. The people he led to Jesus have now abandoned grace through faith alone. That's how we're saved. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And they're now pursuing religious laws. They're trying to become great in the Jewish law system. They're trying to learn all the little things they're teaching them, when to pray and when not to pray and what to do and all this. And they think this pursuit is good. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This pursuit is not good because Christ is not being developed in your life. Now, for us today, here's what we can take from this. I want you to realize that you can pursue things in life that are noble. You can pursue things that are even religious in a way. You can pursue things that look good. But it's not what you accomplish in life. It's who you become by what you accomplish. And here's today's big idea. Don't you grab onto this. What you are doing is ultimately shaping who you are becoming. What you are doing in life is ultimately shaping who you are becoming for the better or for the worse. As I told you before, it did no good for me to plant a church and, you know, and accomplish ministry goals if I wasn't looking anything like Jesus while doing it. The goal for me is not to succeed in ministry, but then I fell into things that really matter in life, which is Jesus being developed in me. You can pursue religious things. I'm going to be in church every Sunday. I'm going to come to Sunday school. I'm gonna, and that's all noble. I'm going to be as part of a small group. I'm going to serve. But if Jesus is not being developed in your life, if your life doesn't look any more like Jesus, then everything that you've pursued is for nothing. The saddest thing is as, as we grow older, sometimes we let the experiences in life make us jaded and bitter and cynical. And we look at our life, we're angry, we're more argumentative, we're, we're, we're at this place where we look nothing like the person who first started with Jesus. And that's what was scary for me in ministry is that I was preaching the gospel, but the gospel wasn't being formed in me. I was preaching sermons, but it wasn't being processed in me. And what I was doing was ultimately shaping who I was becoming for the worse. And I remember that I, I had a, a come to Jesus time. I was driving one day. I was completely burned out in my first church fight, completely burned out. And I was driving one day to, actually riding in the, the pastor's seat, excuse me, and my wife was driving. She hears this. I'm going to make sure I get the story right because I'll be severely rebuked. Uh, I was not driving that day. I've driven every day since, but that day. Uh, so, so, um, so she's driving. It's on a Saturday. I was working 60, 70 hours a week, and I was trying to plant a church with nothing, no money, no people. And I told my wife, I said, I hate my blank in life. This is from a pastor, Jesus follower. And she put the car on brake. She said, you're going home. And you're going to get a nap. And you're going to spend some time with Jesus. And you've got to get this thing figured out. And I went home. And it started a journey for me of becoming healthy. And my pursuit in life is not to get the biggest, the fastest. It's not to be on TV. It's my, my pursuit's not to publish books and to accomplish great things. It's to become more like Jesus. Because what I'm doing is ultimately shaping who I'm becoming. And I realized the toll of ministry had taken on me was really hurting me. And you have to ask the question. This is why it's important for you. Is what you're doing leading you into becoming more like Jesus? 
in your life? Where, where is the gauge in your life where you say, man, this is what really matters most? We should have goals and aspirations. Don't get me wrong. You should want to get, you know, get your degree or, or get a promotion or do those things. But if you accomplish all that and you damage your soul in the process, Jesus is like, what good is it to gain the world but lose your own soul? Let me say it this way. What is it to gain success and accomplishments but lose who you really are and not look like Jesus? And so I flipped the script in my life where it's like, you know, what my aim and my goal is, is I want those closest to me to love me the most. See, it's no good if you guys will say, man, I love some Pastor Kevin. And I get home and my wife's like, yeah, you don't know the jerk that I live with. Right? Well, I just love, man, it's a great sermon. And my wife's like, yeah, I wish he would live it out. You know, when she listens or she's here, my whole goal is, is that I'm representing who I really am on this stage. And the goal for our life is not to say, man, everybody else loves me who's not close to me, but those closest to me don't like me at all because I'm just a jerk. And I'm short-tempered and I'm short-fused and I'm not nice to anybody around me. That's not, the goal is for me is for those closest to me who know me to love me the most. Does that make sense? And so our pursuits in life shape who we become. John Maxwell said it this way, leadership you know, guru. He said, it's not what you do, it's who you become by what you do. What good is it to become a millionaire, but you're self-centered, stingy, self-righteous, and a jerk? What good is it to gain all those things, but in the end, who you become is not the person you look in the mirror and you like? And I realized at a point in time in ministry, I looked in the mirror and I didn't like the guy that I saw. I didn't like the attitude that I saw. I didn't like the responses that I saw. And I realized in my life that I had to change some things. And it was reorganizing the goals in my life. It was reorganizing and prioritizing my time and so that I reflected Jesus in my life. Guys, can I be honest with you? I, I play basketball almost every morning of the week around 5.30 a.m. And I love to win. I'm a competitive person to the core. Like, you know, people say, no, it's not how, whether you win or lose, how you play a game. You know, it's, it's just playing makes it fun. It's like, no, winning makes it fun. If you play sports, it's not fun losing at all, unless you're like third grade, you know? Then when you get into middle school and high school, it's like, no, we, winning is fun. Holding that championship trophy up is fun, right? Amen? But, but yeah, somebody's competitive here too. But here's the thing. What good is it to win the game but my opponent hates who I am, and I'm trying to be Jesus to that person. Does that make sense? It's the same thing in life. And so what I want to do today is this. I want you to answer one question. This week is something um, that you have to answer personally, that you have to look at. But here's the one question I want you to answer in your life. What is shaping you the most in who you are becoming? What it, positively or negatively, you've got to know this. What is shaping me the most in who I'm becoming? Uh, Paul again said this to the church of Galatia, Galatians 4.19. He says, oh, my dear children, I feel as, though I'm, as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. The goal of preaching the gospel is that Jesus is fully developed in your life. It's not to get you to like my sermon, Right? I mean, hopefully, you know, you have some connection with it so you can have Jesus developed in your life. But the goal is not just to fill buildings up. The goal is to fill people's lives with Jesus and they become more like Jesus. My goal, listen, here's my goal as a pastor for you. You ready? That after your time at Thrive, 
you can say, man, I'm more like Jesus than I was before I came here. And I love Jesus more than the first day that I attended. It's not to get you to love this church. It's not to get you to love me. It's not to get you to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to buy into what God's doing. It's for Jesus to be fully developed in your life. That's the goal. You know, when I went through coaching and, uh, and some counseling, and I, I took time to go through counseling, and that's not a, a shameful thing to do. Sometimes we need that. You know, what happened was the coaches told me once a month you need to do this. They say, you're so focused on goals, you forgot about your roles. See, I was so focused on accomplishing goals that I forgot the roles of my life. Number one, how am I doing as a husband? It's a question i got to ask. So I sit down once a month for a couple of hours, and I just kind of answer those questions with God. Yeah, you know, I've actually been kind of, I've been really short with my wife. I've been really this way. I, you know, I didn't really listen to her when she had a bad day. And I start thinking and reflecting. How am I as a father? Am I, you know, accomplishing ministry mountains, but my son doesn't get investment in his life? You know what I'm saying? Like, like have I been really short with him or am I, am I being patient with him? And so I look at that. How am I as a pastor? Not just or do people like the sermons, but how am I really as a pastor? Are my motives right? Am I pursuing the right things? And so I literally take time to find out what is shaping me the most in what I'm becoming. What is shaping me to be more positive or sometimes to be more negative? I have friends in my life I get around. That's why small groups, I hear all these testimonies, people getting around in a small group of other believers. And you start really, man, realizing that, man, this is shaping me for the good. Being in church on Sunday, I hope it shapes you for the good. But you've got to know what shapes you for the worse too. For me, I thought ministry, when I first got into it, and this is all me, so this is not any, any pressure on you guys, and please hear me. I thought ministry was like, was going to be like a family to just stuck together forever, okay? Sounds really noble, right? Being a pastor and pastoring a church is like having a bed and breakfast. Just be real. People come, they get some food, that you kind of get to connect with them. Because my wife and I do, do Airbnbs all the time. San Francisco, all we did was Airbnbs. You know? and, and we spent some wonderful time with some great people, shared some really good meals and conversations. But we were on to our next place because we, we all have a season at a church, right, and a reason for a church. Um, and maybe this is your first church experience ever. Well, that's awesome. It won't be your last. Maybe you came from another church. And so what I did, I put expectations on people that they could never live up to. And I was frustrated and angry and mad internally. And listen, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't anybody in church's fault. Internally, I had to shift some things because that was affecting me. I was becoming angry and short-tempered and affecting my whole life, and I had to change internally because here's the deal. One counselor said, well, he said, you got a few options. He said, why don't you just quit? Go do something else. He says, but here's the thing. I'll go ahead and tell you. He said, I'll, I'll go and tell you up front. He said, you can quit and go somewhere else. He wasn't a Christian counselor. He says, but your issues internally will follow you everywhere you go. Because it's not the external factors that are doing it. It's your internal gauges. It's your internal life. He says, and what you're seeing come out of your life is just gauges showing you what's really happening under the hood. And so I made some drastic internal changes, and I continue to make those in my life where I realize that, man, I can't keep blaming this person and that person and this and that. And because if you do that, you'll go from job to job. And there is a time to change a job. But sometimes we'll jump from job to job because externally it's tough. And I know it's tough sometimes. We'll go from marriage to marriage because, you know, that spouse didn't meet our expectations. And can I just give a side note here? Isn't it crazy that the way we treat marriage is, is just, just wild? Uh, before you get married, you have this group of friends that meet all your needs. You get married, you expect this one dude or this one girl to meet all your needs. 
They're not going to do it, right? And so these unrealistic expectations in the marriage crashes. You can go from church to church. And can I be honest? Do you know what, what the church really is? People say, I don't like church. It's just people. It's a bunch of different people coming together who are all imperfect. And you're going to get rubbed the wrong way. You're going to get hurt. You're not going to like every message that I preach or any pastor preaches. You're not going to agree to every little thing they believe. But if you do not deal with the internal issues, you'll jump from thing to thing to thing looking to fix what needs to be fixed inside. And we have gauges, and we have to look at that. What is shaping you and who you're becoming? Um, I had a friend um, named Christina, and Christina loved Jesus. And Christina got this life verse. You know, you get your life. Anybody got a life verse? Life verses in here? Like, you know, Micah 6, 8, or maybe it's, you know, Ephesians, you know, 2, 8, or whatever your life verse is. Everybody has this life verse. If you don't have one, man, pray and get one. You memorize, you know, my wife is, is, is my, in Micah, um, you know, those things. And so mine is Romans 5, 8, you know, while, while still yet sinners, Christ died for us, meaning that I, you know, while I was at my worst, he chose me for the team when I was the worst player for the team, right? Um, and, and, and here's the thing. She had this live verse. She puts it on her dashboard, and she's memorizing this verse, and she was excited. And then one day, her car breaks down on the side of the road. And the mechanic shows up, and as he's looking at it, it actually had overheated. And so, and, and, and the engine, you know, pretty much blew up in it. The whole engine did. And when the mechanic looked, he said, ma'am, you've got a Bible verse over your, your check engine where it shows your, your heat at. That's why your car blew up. You never knew it was overheating. Now, now, can we all agree that Bible verses are great? <laughs> Say amen for, for, just for the video, I mean, just for the, for the audio, people believe that you believe that, right? Like, yes! But it covered up her gauges. And do you know in our lives, sometimes we use noble pursuits in life that actually hide the gauges of what's really happening inside of us. And when that happens, and our engine gets warped internally, we have to have some real work done on our heart. I told a young pastor this, and being, being younger than I am, starting off in, in ministry, he, was, he hated his church. He didn't like being there. He just felt overwhelmed. Expectations were too much. He just, he just really hated it. He was really good. I just watched this guy turn somebody that I didn't recognize. I said, hey, man, I said, I'm going to give you some, some advice. You need to just leave that ministry and take time off, and you need to get healed because you're way too young to have your engine warped. And if it warps this early, it's going to be warped the rest of your life. And in that conversation, and six months later, he landed the plane on that church and decided to do something different in his life. And, and I'm telling you today that you have gauges in your life that you need to pay attention to. Are you becoming more like Jesus? I don't care if you come to church. Every I wish, I hope you do. Yeah, I like you being here. Are you, becoming like, are you part of small groups? Are you, are you becoming more like Jesus? You're reading the Bible, but are you becoming more like Jesus? Is Christ being fully developed in your life? And you've got to pay attention to those gauges because that's the goal for us, guys. That's the goal for us being here. That's go the goal for us knowing the Lord. Many of you have heard of the golfer Payne Stewart. He wore the really wild, crazy outfits. You can look them up. One of my dad's favorite golfers. And he died in a plane crash many years ago. And here's what happened in that plane. It was gauges. The pilot set the plane to autopilot and fell asleep. The plane ran out of fuel, and it froze up because they weren't paying attention to gauges. And they're partying, having a little good time, hanging out, you know, just having a good time on the plane. And everybody decided to go to sleep, and the plane crashed. Gauges. Now, we may not 
you know, have an external plane crash that we face, but internally you can have a crash because you're never paying attention to the gauges. Who am I becoming by what I'm doing? And if what you're doing is shaping something that you don't like, begin to change your response to it. You, maybe you can't change your external circumstances right now, but you can change the internal response to it, can't you? And say, God, help me to have Jesus formed in my life. Let me, at the end of the day, look more like you in every area of my life. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that we would have the heart in here to want to be more like you. Jesus, may people see you in our life. Not that we're perfect, but may they see you come out in our life. Lord, if we're accomplishing goals or going after dreams and aspirations or promotions or whatever it may be in our life, I'm not sure what we're pursuing, pleasure, whatever it is, but it's causing us to not look more like you. Lord, please reveal that to us. Today, Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that we will begin to look at gauges that are showing us what's happening inside. And may we cry out to you to say, God, help me become more like Jesus. Help me to change the priorities. Help me change the target in my life. God, we look to you to do that in us. Father, I pray that at Thrive Church and all that we do, that the ultimate goal would be this that Jesus is developed in everyone's life, that we all leave becoming more like you to a world that desperately needs to see your love in action in every aspect of our life. Help us, Lord. May today be an awakening for many of us in our hearts for you to do some deep internal business inside of us, God that the Holy Spirit would do the surgery that only He can do, the circumcision of the heart, that He goes in, begins to cut things away so that we may look more like You. Father, reveal by Your Holy Spirit to every person in here that today. And as we're praying today, church, and we're in here, maybe your step to becoming more like Jesus is to surrender your life to Him. Maybe you know today is the day for you to give your life to Jesus and you came to Thrive Church for that one reason. Maybe for the first time you're going, you're going to surrender and you're going to confess Jesus as Lord and follow Him or maybe you're coming back to God. Maybe you've, you've been on a long journey away. You've been 30,000 steps away. You're ever only one step away. No matter how far you think you've gone, today could be your day. So if that's you today and you say, man, that's me, Kevin. I want to recommit my life to Jesus. I want to make this decision today. It's really simple. Paul said if you, in the Bible that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And so if you want that to be your story today, what I'm going to ask is at the count of three, you're going to lift your hand up and say, that's me. I need this today. I'm coming back. You will lift your hand and just, man, and you make eye contact with me. Say, that's me, Kevin. One, two, three. That's me today. Today is the day for me. Amen. Amen. Let's see that hand. Amen. Right now where you're sitting, with your hands uh, raised or not, you can make this confession of faith in the form of a prayer. Let's, I want you to, to pray this with me and after me. He say, Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself. But I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that 
that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day to forgive me of my sins. Today, I receive the forgiveness of sins. Today, I know I am made right with you, God, by placing my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you, Lord. Use it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, celebrate with those who made that decision today.